Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. If you want to attend a dead, boring, fall-asleep church, this is not the church for you. I'm sorry, but it's just not. Please open your Bibles to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'll read verses 28 through 31. And I want to speak to you on the subject, the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Now this is one of the greatest passages in all the Bible to me, found in one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. That's the 8th chapter of Romans. Think about it. It begins with all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. And it ends with, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then don't miss this. Between those two great statements, we find this statement, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, what we find in this passage of Scripture is that God has this this huge, wonderful, grand, great, glorious plan that he has put into motion. And he did it a long time ago. And, and, and we do know, we claim it all the time, that all things do work together for good for those who love the Lord, and that if God is with us, who can be against us? But sometimes we ignore what's right between them, and that is that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's God's plan. God has this glorious plan. There's an old song that some of you will remember, especially the old folks here. It says, I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes and often slip, just common flesh and bone. But someday I'll prove just what I say. That I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross. Say it with me. I was on his mind. 
When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Now, some of the songs that we sing are not necessarily good theology, but this is good theology. You see, friends, God had a plan. That plan was in motion. Jesus, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection was a part of that plan. And this is the good news. We get to be a part of that plan also. It says he was the firstborn among many brethren. This is really what I want you to get. All things work together for good. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's good stuff. But that's not just about you and me. That's about God working in our lives so that we can be a part of the central theme of God's foreordained, predestined plan. And that is Jesus being the firstborn among many brethren. Think about it just for a moment. He was the firstborn from the dead. That means he was first. He was supreme. That he was preeminent. That he is all of those things. That he is the rightful heir to the birthrights of the kingdom of God. And, and the Bible tells us that in a number of places. This is one of my favorite passages, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, friends, it's all about him. God's plan has always been about him. He's first. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the one. And our salvation is to come together and focus on Him. This is where we come into the picture. Listen, among many brethren. That's a wonderful statement. This is where we come into the picture. This is where we get to be a part of this glorious redemption story of Jesus being the firstborn. Simply put today, please remember this. He was the first, and we get to be a part of the many who follow in his victorious footsteps. That's what Easter is all about. Uh, one of my favorite poets uh, is Edgar Guest, and he wrote a poem entitled, The First Easter. Here, here's the way his poem goes. This won't be word perfect, but it will be close. Dead, they left him in the tomb, and oh, the impenetrable gloom. Roll the great stone to the door. Dead, they thought, forevermore. Then came Mary Magdalene, weeping to that bitter scene, and she found to her amazement and to her dismay that the stone had been rolled away. Then came Peter, and then John. Him they wanted to look upon, but all they found was his linen there neatly folded in the sepulchre. They have taken him away, Mary cried that Easter day. She heard a voice from behind. Whom is it you seek to find? Tell me where he is, she cried. Him they scourged and crucified. Here we left him among the dead. Mary, Mary, Jesus said.
So by Mary Magdalene, first the risen Christ was seen. And from every believer's heart, that day, doubt's great stone was rolled away. That's what we've been singing about all morning. Think about it. Doubt's great stone was rolled away that day. Child of God, can you rejoice with me when I say today, we don't have to live in doubt anymore? Doubt does not have to plague us anymore. You you see, we don't have to try to figure out what life is all about. We, We don't have to contemplate the universe. I know there are a thousand mysteries and millions of questions, but the one thing that's most important, we know what it's about. We know why we are here. We know what life is all about. We know that God had a plan. Jesus is the focus of that plan. And we get to be a part of that plan. He was the first born among many brethren. When He got up and walked out of that tomb alive, He didn't just do that for Himself. He did it so he could be the firstborn among many brethren. That's good stuff right there. I, I don't, I'm not exaggerating here. This is praise God, glory, hallelujah territory. This, this is exciting. Think about with me. Think about this with me. Doubt, fear, depression, defeat, hopelessness all rolled away that day for those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you could easily you could easily walk up to me after the service today and you could say pastor I appreciate what you said but I know Christians who live in doubt and fear and anxiety and frustration. And I wouldn't be able to argue with you at all because I know some Christians who live there also. And I want to be honest with you, I've lived in some of those dark places at times myself. But this is the point I will argue with you. That Christians are not trapped in that place. They're not bound there. The stone's been rolled away. The victory has been won. When he got up and walked out of that tomb alive, he did it not just for himself, he did it for all of us, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we can walk out of those dark places of sin and rebellion and defeat that displease God, and we can live victorious lives. I have to read this to you. This is... This is so good. Pope John Paul II once said, As Christians, we are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. Not woe is me, but hallelujah. Maybe there's somebody here today who's singing the wrong song. We are the Easter people. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the power of the resurrection. Hallelujah is our song. It really is. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. 
And because we believe in him, we trust him, we've turned our lives over to him, he's captured our hearts, then friends, death can't hold us. And all the things that are associated with death, they can't hold us either. He was the firstborn among many brethren. I've been reading a lot of Billy Graham's material right lately in his passing about a year ago. I, I just felt like the Lord was drawing me to read some of his books, read some articles on him. Billy Graham tells a story of his maternal grandparents, Ben and Lucinda Coffey. And he said he never met his grandfather, Ben, but he was a young man when his grandmother, Lucinda, died. Now, this is the story about Ben. It's pretty amazing. Ben was badly wounded while serving with the 11th North Carolina Regiment, Pettigrew's Brigade, which led the advance on Gettysburg from the west on July 1st, 1863. In battle that day, shrapnel almost took his left leg off. He was lying on the battlefield, and a bullet grazed his right eye, blinding him. He did not die on the battlefield that day. He was discharged about a month later. His commander wrote about him, a better soldier never lived. Some of his comrades wrote and testified that he was always about spiritual things, that he loved the Lord. Well, what happened was, is a short time after that, they amputated his left leg. And he spent the rest of his life without his left leg and without his right eye. And... Billy Graham said he died at the ripe old age of 74. Um, as I get older, I'll take issue with that. <laughs> that. That's not as old as it used to be, I have to tell you. <clears throat> but he died at 74. Billy Graham said he didn't remember that. But he said he was called, he and his sister were called home from school when his grandmother Lucinda was getting ready to pass away. Now I'm reading this out of his book. He said just before she died, she sat up in bed and almost laughingly said, I see Jesus. <clears throat> he has his arms outstretched toward me. And then she said, and there's Ben. He has both his eyes and both of his legs. And then she died. Do you know why we can believe that story? Because he was the firstborn among many brethren. You see, friends, the truth of the matter is that from that first Easter morning until this very day, every testimony you've ever heard in your life about 
God moving miraculously in the lives of his children is just another testimony that he was the firstborn among many brethren. You, you, you see, as victorious as he was, as great as his victory was, so great can our victory be. Uh, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of being around a lot of strange situations and talking to people who have given some strange stories. I spoke with a woman at length who was raised from the dead. She, uh, she was in the hospital. She was very sick. By the way, I, I spoke with her. I spoke with her husband. I spoke with her pastor. They all gave me the same story. She was in the hospital. She was extremely sick. And then finally, she died. And they took all the needles and all the tubes out, and they told the family, we want to clean her up. And when we're ready, we'll call for you, and you can come in and visit with her. And so, about 30 minutes later, they invited the family to come in, and one by one, and sometimes several would come in at a time, and they would go into the hospital room and spend a few moments with her. And then three elderly ladies from her church showed up and they said, we've come to pray with and called her name. And the pastor said, well, I'm sorry, but she passed away about an hour ago. And they said, that's not possible. He said, well, it is. She just died. And they said, no, God spoke to us. We were praying at the church and God told us to go pray for her. Why would God want us to pray for her if she's already gone? And then one of them just kind of swelled up a little bit and she said, well, we'll just go in and pray and we'll raise her from the dead. So help me, the pastor told me this. He said, you can go in by yourself. I'm not going in with you. She said, why? He said, I would hinder you because I don't have the same faith you have. He said, those three women went in and said he could hear them praying. And he said they were, they were calling on the name of Jesus and praying over her. And he said, and then all of a sudden, it went to a pitch like he had never heard before. And, and they started screaming. The woman herself told me that she just sat up in bed and started shouting and praising God with them. The pastor and four or five people Listen, out in the... Listen, now if y'all going to clap, I want you to all clap. Or I, I mean, when three people clap, I feel like I almost made a point. The pastor and four or five folks out in the hallway heard it. They rushed into the room. And, and, and the, one of the men I spoke to said, there she was. My mom was sitting up in bed. And, and then he said, the doctor comes running down. Because everybody on that wing of the hospital could hear what was going on. And the doctor comes in. She's sitting up in bed. And said, all right, everybody out of the room. And one of those ladies said, she was dead when you were in here by yourself. And now you want us to leave? Do you know why we can believe stories like that? 
Because he was the firstborn among many brethren. Do you get it? He was the firstborn from the dead. The same power. The same touch of God. The same hand of God that was on him would be extended to many brethren who believed in him. I, I, can't, I can't move on without telling you the rest of the story. I, I've shared that story with people who said, I still don't believe it. And that's, that's fine. You don't have to believe. But the doctor that pronounced her dead believed it. <laughs> you know how we know he believed it? Because he showed up at her church the next Sunday, walked down the aisle, gave his heart to Jesus and got saved. You better believe it. I bet he wasn't late either. I bet he got there on time. I don't know what's going on here, but i got to be a part of it. Listen, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because I've told this story uh, so many times. But I stepped through the door at Tallahassee Memorial Hospital to visit with a man that I loved, and he was a great man of God. And when I stepped through the door, this is what he said to me. He said, Hey, Pastor... He said, uh, good news, I'm going home today. I said, man, that is great. I said, I, I hope, I, I'm glad you're feeling better and they're going to dismiss you. He said, no, I'm not going back to my earthly home. He said, I'm going to my heavenly home. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how to even respond in situations like that. I stood there for a moment. He said, my sister came and visited with me today. And she told me that it was time for me to come home. I'm still, I'm pretty quiet at this point. He said, my sister died 20 years ago, but she visited with me just a few minutes ago. And she told me I was going home. I, I wish I could... I wish I could describe the look on his face, the smile. And I got to tell you, it, it was, he was speaking with me just like I'm talking to you right now, with that same clarity. And within one hour of him telling me that, he closed his eyes and went home to be with the Lord. Now, listen to these beautiful words. Don't just listen with your ears, listen with your heart. He was the firstborn among many brethren. Wow. That's, that's almost breathtaking, isn't it? He was the firstborn among many brethren. Did you know that there are some people... Maybe everybody, I don't know, but we know of the testimonies of some. There are some people who are in transition between this world and the next world who are able to see into both worlds and even sometimes able to talk to people in both worlds. You say, now, pastor, you're really getting out there. 
I wouldn't make such an outlandish statement to you today if I didn't have proof to back it up. If you believe the Bible, you believe that also. Did you know there was a great man of God in the book of Acts? His name was Stephen. He was martyred for his faith. And do you know that just before he departed this world, though he was in this world, he saw things out of this world. The Bible says that he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Here it is. I've got to read this to you. Acts 7, 55 and 56. But he, this was Stephen now, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He's on earth, but he's gazing into heaven. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now listen. He said, Look! Look! He was talking to people around him. It made them mad. They, they, they killed him. But he said, Look! The next time you're with somebody who's slipping out of this world and into the next world, if they say, Look! I see. You might ought to believe them. But he, look, he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Theologians tell us that the reason Jesus was standing up was because He was taking such notice to His faithful servant who would not back down even if His life was being taken from Him. But he saw. Oh, friends. I, God lets people see. He, Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. I was pastoring over in Alabama. And I'll try to make these stories short. Uh, but I was pastoring in Alabama. And I met a pastor over there. They called him Big Jim. Big Jim was a huge man. And somewhat intimidating but in a good way because he was a preacher of the gospel. And he, uh, everybody loved Big Jim. And when he preached at our church, people just loved it. And then one day, I heard that Big Jim had stage 4 cancer. He was a fairly young man and that he didn't have long to live. And I'll just tell you right now, we prayed, but please hold on to this statement. We prayed hard. We did everything we were supposed to do. But sometimes God has something better in store than what we're asking for. Well, his condition worsened. And his daughter told him one day, she said, Dad, I've heard you preach about angels many, many times. Dad, when, when it's time for you to go, if I have the privilege of being with you, will you tell me if you see angels? And she told the story the day of his funeral. She said she was seated by his bedside holding his hand. He'd been in a coma for about three days. And she said she was almost asleep and said then he squeezed her hand and she woke up and said he... he he opened his eyes and he turned and looked straight at her and he smiled and he said, angels. And then he closed his eyes 
and went home to be with the Lord. Would you believe me when I tell you that his funeral was one more glory, hallelujah, celebration? Man, man, I'm just telling you that he was the firstborn among many brethren. And what that means is the supernatural stuff that went uh, went on around the grave didn't stop there. He was the firstborn among many brethren. And that same power, that same glory, that same supernatural intervention is still taking place from time to time among many brethren. Uh, I was uh, pastoring up in Georgia and there was a faithful woman who came to our church. She was so faithful. I'd never met her husband. He didn't, want, he didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to have anything to do with me. I questioned her about that. She said, well, basically he's an atheist and he hates the church. He thinks the church is fraudulent. He thinks all, we, all the church wants is our money. He won't have anything to do with the church. He's just rebellious. Just just won't have anything to do with it. Never made a profession of faith. Never baptized. I get a call. He's had a massive heart attack. Totally unconscious. He's in the hospital. I was in Bainbridge at that time, but they brought him to Tallahassee. And the doctor came out, and I was with his wife when the doctor came out and told the story. And he told us he's not going to make it. And then the doctor said, if he makes it, he will be brain dead. The best thing to do is to let him go. Oh, can you imagine being in that position? I could take you to the very spot at the hospital where she turned to me and she said, Pastor, what do we do now? These are not my words, these are her words. She said, if he dies, he's going to hell. She said, please help me, Pastor. I said, well, let's refuse to doubt. I I don't know everything faith is, but I know it's the opposite of doubt. I said, let's just pray. Let's pray that God will let him wake up long enough to get saved. And she said, if God will answer that prayer, I'll let him go. I'll be at peace with that. So we started praying. He lived through the night, the next day, the next week. He was in a coma for almost 30 days. We kept praying, but, but we had hope. And, then, and I, I tried to visit with him almost every day, and I told her, the moment he wakes up, let me know I'm coming. We're going to lead him to Jesus. One day he wakes up. And man, we go to work immediately. This is what we said. We started saying, you're very sick. You've had a massive heart attack. You could die at any minute. You need to make sure you're right with God. You need to seal this eternal deal. You need to be saved. He looked at us. You know what he said? He said, no, I don't. He said, I am saved. His wife said, you can't be saved. You're an atheist. You rejected everything. You can't be saved. He said, yes, I can. I am saved. 
She said, well, you've got some explaining to do. He said, well, he said, when I had the heart attack and I was in the coma, he said, I was lost. But he said, while I was unconscious, I got saved. Okay, you've got to explain that a little bit. He said, well, he said, Jesus came to me when I was in the coma and told me y'all were praying for me and told me that because y'all were praying, he was going to give me another chance and he was going to allow me to trust him. And he said, Jesus said, now you get to make a decision. And in his little story, this is what he said. Jesus was on one side of the fence. He was on the other. And Jesus said, now, if if you'll climb over that fence, you can get saved. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll do a work in your heart and turn your life around. He told us, he said, I climbed over that fence. That's what he said. And he said, I'm saved. I don't think his wife really believed him. I'm not sure I believed him. But they let him out of the hospital a few weeks later. By the way, this man that wasn't supposed to make it through the night, and if he did make it, he would be brain dead. He showed up at our church the first Sunday he was out of the hospital, walked down the aisle, made a public profession of faith, told everybody in the congregation Jesus saved him in the coma. And then he got baptized. And then he wrote a book and told the whole story in the book. And a few days before I left Bainbridge, Georgia, he and I walked 18 holes of golf together and rejoiced in the Lord. As my brother here on the front row says, God can do some stuff. And do you know, do you know why? Do you know why I believe that stuff? Do you know why I believe those kind of reports? Because he was the first born among many brethren. The same power that brought him back to life is still at work. Now friends, I'm just telling you, you can believe the so-called educated theologians who, who somehow want to convince you they understand the Scriptures better than you do, and they sow doubt in all the miracles. Not all of them, but some of them. You can believe them, or you can believe this. He was the firstborn among many brethren. That the same power, the same glory, the same touch of God that brought his dear son out of the grave, that that was just the first demonstration of something that would take place many times through many brethren who would put their faith and trust in him. All right. Let me close. I, I, want, I, I, I told you I'd been reading a lot about Billy Graham. <clears throat> and a journalist by the name of David Frost interviewed Billy Graham. And this is one of the questions he asked. It's an amazing article. He asked Billy Graham, what would you want the first line of your obituary to say? Billy Graham immediately said that he was a faithful, that he was faithful and that he had integrity. That's good. 
And then he said, oh, okay, I've got another one. And that I was faithful to my calling and that I love God with all my mind, heart, and soul. That's good. The next question Frost asked him was this. When you get to heaven, do you have some questions for God? Billy Graham said, yes, thousands. Many things in the Bible are a mystery to us. And then Billy Graham added something. He said, Frost said he didn't even ask him this. He just added something. He said, there's one thing I'd like to ask God to do when I get to heaven. He said, I'd like to ask God to edit the film of my life. And then Billy Graham said, some things in my life, I would be embarrassed if anyone else saw it. Billy Graham wrote dozens of books, preached to more people than any other preacher who's ever lived on the planet. This man uh, of, of unbelievable integrity, never a negative word spoken about him. And he wants the film of his life edited? Anyway, Frost ended the article this way. If Billy Graham needed the film of his life edited, the rest of us are in big trouble. I close with this, friends. The Bible teaches us that God is in the film editing business. If that, if that won't get you a little bit excited. It teaches us. If we repent, if we turn our faith toward God, if we trust Him as our Lord and Savior, that God's in the film editing business. One passage of Scripture says, He will remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. No film can reach that far. It says that He will cast, another verse says He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. And another passage of Scripture says, though our sins are completely Scarlet, or we're stained with sin, He will make us white as snow. And then one of my favorites says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, listen now, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, friends, salvation is about God separating us from our sin. Now, I'm not saying that you will ever be sinless or that I will ever be sinless, but salvation is about God separating us from our sins, separating us from our past sinful lives so that we can live new, glorious, glorifying lives that bring honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you may not have ever thought about this, but your salvation is not just about you. It is about you. God loves you. But it's not just about you. It's about God's foreordained, predestined plan for His Son to be the firstborn among many brethren. And God wants us to be a part of that family. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Yes. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Yes. But friends, you have to understand that those two things are said about us because we are a part of that family of God that understands that he is preeminent, that he is most important. So today, I leave you with these words on this Easter Sunday morning, that God is at work in our lives. And he was the firstborn among many brethren. And no matter what you've ever seen in your life and how good and glorious it is, the best is yet to come. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com. Thank you again for...